Welcome to Stories of Runeterra. My name is Ravenhood, or Guy if you'd prefer, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Runeterra by Riot Games. The Riot Games community has crafted an incredible universe filled with incredible champions of all manner, and most of them aren't late. And unfortunately, I'm not Echo, so I can't go back in time and try again. I know I told you guys that I'd be back during the second week of January with these recorded narrations of the League of Legends and Runeterra lore, and I dropped the ball on that. So, I apologize. A lot of stuff happened, and I had to switch up my schedule, and other priorities of life came to be. However, with a little bit of adjustment in time and how much I'm able to invest in these, I'm going to keep doing them. I'm I am compromising with a little bit of uh, qualities going down a bit. But otherwise, we'll still be doing these, and hopefully you enjoy the lore enough to overlook my uh, simplifying the process. So, each week, we're going to jump into the Riot Games universe. Actually, that's part of the change. It's not going to be each week. Looks like with my new work and life cho uh, choices <laughs> schedule, that I'm only going to be able to do this every month. So each month we're going to jump into the Riot Games universe and narrate something from the world of Runeterra. This week's story, we're going to talk about the other two branches of Noxus, Leblanc and Darius. All right, let's get started on Leblanc, the Deceiver. A rose cannot grow in darkness. It dies, and the darkness grows. Mysterious even to the other members of the Black Rose Cabal, Leblanc is but one of many names for a pale woman who has manipulated people and events since the earliest days of Noxus, using her magic to mirror herself. The sorceress can appear to anyone anywhere, and even be in many places at once, always plotting just out of sight. LeBlanc's true motives are as inscrutable as her shifting identity. LeBlanc, the Deceiver, matron of the Black Rose, LeBlanc's identity is as intangible as the whispers that describe her, as ephemeral as the illusions that give her shape. Perhaps it is unknown even to herself, after so many centuries of mimicry and deception. Remnants of an order that has existed far longer than Noxus itself, initiates of the Black Rose have schemed from the shadows for centuries, drawing the rich and powerful to their ranks. Though they do not often learn the origins of their matron, many have uncovered legends of a pale sorceress who aided the broken barbarian tribes in their struggle against the infamous Iron Revenant, subjugating lands already ravaged by the Darken. Even today his name is whispered in fear, Mordekaiser. Uniquely skilled among the Revenant's inner circle before she betrayed him, the sorceress pledged to neutralize the source of his power, the immortal Bastion, cutting him off from the well of death that fueled his nightmarish empire. Yet, 
even as the empires built an empire of their own in the bastion shadow, they failed to realize that the arcane secrets it held had not completely been locked away. The pale sorceress had always been gifted at illusion, and her greatest trick was to make Noxus forget the dark power roiling in its own heart. Before she was burned from the pages of history around the time of the Rune Wars. The Black Rose now exists to further the clandestine interests of those who can wield such magic, with its rank and file composed of mundane nobles drawn to rumors of miracles and ruthlessly exploited. Even the most powerful military commander could only ever serve the cult's true masters, as they fight one another for influence in games of intrigue and conquest, both in the Noxian capital and beyond its borders. For centuries, LeBlanc has served in secret as an advisor to foreign dignitaries, appearing in many nations at once, her illusions driving order into chaos. Rumors of a new matron rising with each generation only raise further questions. Which is the true version of herself? When she speaks, is it with her own voice? And what will the price be for the favor she offers? Borum Darkwill was but the latest to learn this last answer for himself. Though the Black Rose had aided his bid for the throne, she refused the counsel of their hand-picked advisors, requiring LeBlanc to take drastic measures. Manipulating a young nobleman named Jericho Swain into revealing the cult's involvement, LeBlanc allowed herself to be executed along with the most prominent conspirators. Or so at least it appeared. In time, she reached out to Darkwill herself, and found an increasingly paranoid ruler fearful of his own mortality. After promising him the secrets to extend his life, LeBlanc slowly poisoned Dark Will's mind, even as she empowered him. Under his rule, the Noxian reverence of strength became something far more sinister, and together they ensured Swain's legend would end in disgrace on the battlefields of Ionia. But Swain, emboldened by forbidden lore from within the immortal bastion, did something wholly unexpected, managing to drag Dark Will from the throne and seize Noxus for himself. This new Grand General was not interested in his own legacy, but the glory of the Empire, and such a man could not easily be corrupted. After countless centuries, LeBlanc wondered, had she finally found a worthy nemesis? Her actions have pushed Runeterra to the brink of all-out war many times. In the wake of desperate campaigns across the Freljord, on Targon's peaks, and deep in Shirima's deserts, the darkest magic has begun to spread once more, circling closer and closer to Noxus. Whether LeBlanc is still the same pale sorceress who betrayed the Iron Revenant, or merely one of countless hollow reflections, her influence clearly stems from ancient roots. The Black Rose has yet to truly blossom. And now for the story of LeBlanc. 
This one is entitled Thorns of the Black Rose, and it is by L.J. Goulding. Ugh, I don't understand, General Granth mutters, nervously trying to smother the light from his lamp. There's nothing here. It's, it's a dead end. He stands at the threshold, framed by the dark stonework against the deeper darkness beyond it. He does not see the open gateway before, nor the angular Ochnun inscriptions that surround it. He does not see the fragments of bone that litter the flagstones beneath his boots. I smile, playing my part. It's the simplest of things, I tell him, to hide in plain sight. The general turns, confusion and frustration written clearly on his face. Don't play games with me, cousin. Do you have any idea what I'm risking being down here or what would happen if we're caught? These districts are forbidden. By the order of the council, there are legion patrols everywhere. This at least is true. Ever since the usurper Swain seized control, he's kept the immortal bastion locked down. Officially, it's to protect the Triferrix against reprisals from those noble houses that opposed its creation. Unofficially, he's daring men like Bran and Granth to expose themselves as enemies. But they would not doubt your loyalty. I reassure him, a hero of the Gates of Mourning, no less. You're to be honored by command of the great Grand General himself. What can they say to that? If we were spotted, you would not even need to run. His expression darkens. Oh, you don't run from the Trifarian Legion. I don't need to hear this thinly-veiled propaganda again. In little more than a year, Swain has built a certain mystique around himself in the hand of Noxus, and those that serve them both. It's a brilliant scheme, though it fills my heart with hatred to admit it. Uh, even so, I let Granth have his moment. It's why we're here. His eyes fall to the ground. We didn't win the Gates of Mourning. The Legion did. That's why Swain won't attend the Triumph. He knows we need not even have been there, damn him. He insults us with this pomp and ceremony in front of all of Noxus. I nod, laying a hand on Grant's shoulder. And that's why we'll make him pay for everything he's done. You're a true Noxian. Anyone can see that. I've told the others all about you, and they wish to meet you for themselves. She wishes to meet you. I can't meet anyone, cousin. If we can't get inside, he glances around. Doesn't the Black Ro- I recoil. Don't use that name. I... Don't use that name. It makes you sound like, well, as you said, like you don't understand. Pushing past him, I stride through the yawning mouth of the gate. He almost drops the lantern in surprise, seeing the entrance now, for the first time. Stumbling after me, Granth checks to make sure we're not being followed, then he squints into the shadows of the passageway. Is it true? He hisses. What they... what they say about her? Is it true? I do not slow my pace. Come, find out for yourself. 
The Immortal Bastion is not a monument, as most Noxians believe, nor is it merely a fortress, in the sense uh, that the old tribes knew it. The stone around us almost thrums with power, though, though Granth is mostly obvious. I've seen it countless of times through the centuries. He knows something's not right, but feels it only as a lethargic drag on his limbs and a whispering itch in the back of his brain. <laughs> Few mortals last long when they're this close to the source. To his credit, he's still got his wits about him, enough to reach for his dagger when a robed figure emerges from the gloom. I pass both of us, coming in the other direction. I look tired. No matter. This will be concluded soon enough. Granth eyes me suspiciously until I disappear from sight, then ambles to the side of the person he knows as his cousin. Hadrian, who are these people? Granth asks, as more anonymous figures come and go. I don't recognize any of them. Are they the allies you spoke of among the other houses? I sigh. <sighs> it's disappointing that the finest military minds often cannot see what is right in front of them. They're sympathetic to our family's plight, I reply, keeping the disdain from my voice. We, all of us, are committed to the downfall of the usurper and the restoration of the throne. It's, it's better that you don't know their names or their faces. He scoffs. Ugh. But how can we work together if we... His words die on his lips as we turn the last corner. Ah, we stand at the edge of a great well of souls, plunging down into the bedrock of Noxus, far deeper than the physical dimensions of the Bastion should even allow. The roiling miasma of cold blues and jealous greens swirls in the distance beneath us, underlighting the three bridges that span the gap. There, between them, Suspended against the madness is a frightful, hulking silhouette that every Noxian knows only too well. A husk of lifeless armor depicted in every history book, and a thousand defaced statues scattering across the old city. Grant takes half a step back. It, it, it can't be, he murmurs. It, it can't, it can't be. His voice is cracking. His eyes glisten with tears. I lean in over his shoulder to whisper behind his ears. Don't, don't you see the truth of it now? The truth behind the great empire of Noxus. So it has been for centuries, since the days of the first kings. No grand general, no emperor or tyrant can stand unless the mistress of the old immortal bastion allows it. Many are those who would serve, though few prove worthy. I gently pluck the lantern from his trembling fingers and guide him away from the sight that has so transfixed him toward the veiled alcoves that line the passage on either side. Swain must fall. Our cabal is utterly committed to this, above all else, 
and we will sacrifice whatever we must to achieve it. On some level, Granth knows what he will see even before I pull back the shroud. It is the desiccated body of his cousin, Hadrian. The younger man's features are frozen in a deathly rictus, yet there's, there is certainly an unmistakable sense of peace about it. Your house was singled out most unfairly during the coup, Brannon Granth. Your father and his brothers were stripped of all they possessed, simply for remaining true to Borum Darkwill at the end. Hadrian gave his life gladly in the pursuit of revenge. Will you honor that debt and join us now, too? Granth sinks to his knees, looking up at me with fresh eyes. You, you are her. You are the pale woman. He does not even flinch when a second pale woman appears at my side. We speak with the same voice. I am everywhere. I am everyone. You know only what you need to know. And see what I want you to see. <laughs> Jericho Swain is not the only one who could exaggerate his own legend. A third pale woman steps out behind Granth, and then a fourth. And even so, he bows his head to me, no doubt convinced he finally understands. He does not need us to point out the empty alcove beside his cousins. With all my heart, he swears, and with every drop of my noble blood, I will serve you, my lady. I will not rest until the pretender Swain is dead. <laughs> this naive fool thinks that he will be the one to land the killing blow. Ah, I'll let him think that, for it suits my purpose, which is to merely probe the Grand General's defenses. I trace the sigil of the cabal in the air above Grant's head, marking him as my own. None who can see it will interfere with the plots we shall soon devise. Rise, then, proud son of the Noxi, your pledge is heard and accepted. Together we will be victorious, and your name will be celebrated as the savior of an empire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get started with Darius. History only remembers the victors. Stand with Noxus and be remembered forever. There is no greater symbol of Noxian might than Darius, the nation's most feared and battle-hardened leader. 
Rising from humble origins to become the Hand of Noxus, he cleaves through the Empire's enemies, many of them Noxians themselves, knowing that he never doubts his cause is just, and never hesitates once his axe is raised. Those who stand against the commander of the Trifarian Legion can expect no mercy. And here's his biography of Darius, the Hand of Noxus. Darius and his brother Draven grew up as orphans in the port city of Basilich. Darius struggled to provide for them both, constantly fighting with gangs of older urchins and anyone else who threatened his little brother, even the city guard. Every day on the streets was a battle for survival, and Darius earned more scars by his twelfth summer than some soldiers do in a lifetime. After Basilich was seized by the expanding Noxian Empire, the victorious commander Cyrus saw the strength in these defiant brothers, and they found a home within the ranks of his war host. Over the years, they fought in many grueling campaigns of conquest from one end of the known world to the other, as well as crushing a number of rebellions against the throne. Within the empire, anyone could rise to power, no matter their birth, culture, or background, and none embraced this ideal more fervently than Darius. From humble beginnings, he rose steadily through the ranks, always putting duty before all else, and garnering great respect for his aggression, discipline, and refusal to ever take a backward step. On the blood-soaked fields of the Dalmore Plain, he even beheaded a Noxian general after the coward ordered a defeat. Roaring in defiance and hefting his bloodied axe overhead, Darius rallied the scattered warbands and won a great and unexpected victory against a far more numerous foe. He was rewarded with a senior command of his own, attracting many thousands of eager recruits from across the empire. Darius turned the majority away, accepting only the strongest, the most disciplined and iron-willed. Such was his fearsome notoriety, even in the lands beyond Noxus, that it was not uncommon for entire cities to surrender at the first sight of his banners. After a grinding victory against the cloud fortresses of the Varju, a proud warrior people who had resisted decades of Noxian aggression, Darius was named the Hand of Noxus by Emperor Borum Darkwill himself. Those who knew Darius best knew he craved neither power nor adulation. He wished merely to see Noxus triumph over all. So Dark Will ordered him and his war hosts far north into the Freljord to finally bring the barbarian tribes to heel. That campaign dragged on for years, ending in a bitter, icy stalemate. Darius narrowly survived assassination attempts, ambushes, and even capture by the vicious Winter's Claw. He was growing weary of endless wars of attrition and returned to Noxus to demand a, recon a reconsolidation of the military. He marched his veterans into the capital, only to find that the emperor was dead, killed in a coup led by Jericho Swain. The act had been supported by many allies, including Darius's own brother, Draven. This was a difficult position, as Hand, many of the noble houses would expect Darius to avenge Darkwill, but he had known and greatly respected the disgraced General Swain, and had spoken against his discharge after the botched offensive in Ionia some years earlier. 
The oaths of the hand were to Noxus, not to any particular ruler, and Swain was a man who spoke honestly of his new vision for the empire. Darius realized this was a leader he was prepared to follow, but Swain had other ideas. With the establishment of the Triferex, three individuals who would rule Noxus together, each embodying one principle of strength, vision, might, and guile, Darius gladly accepted his place on this council and pledged to raise a new elite force, the Trifarian Legion, the most loyal and prestigious warriors the Empire could produce, and lead armies of Noxus into a glorious new age of conquest. All right, let's hop into Darius's story. This one is entitled The Winter Spike Road by Laura Miche or Michette. I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Laura Miche. By evening, the snow had soaked all the way through Maja's boots. With each step, she could feel icy winter slosh from her heel to her toes, like a flaying knife drawn along her foot. Other soldiers were struggling too. Fifteen miles downhill in waist-high snow wasn't easy, but the legionaries at the head of the column weren't limping. Their steps the confident rhythm they'd struck since morning, and their watchful eyes were still glued to the horizon. Ugh, they probably have better boots, Maja thought. Trifarians are tough, but nobody's that tough in standard-issue boots. Hey, Zalt muttered, holding up. Zalt, the only minotaur in the warband, was taller, wider, and older than everybody else. He was plowing a deep trench through the snow on sturdy hooves. Maja was jealous. <sighs> Wish I couldn't feel my feet, she said. If I didn't have feet, no one could make me march. In the last campaign against the Winter's Claw, I saw a soldier's foot freeze solid. <sighs> Zalt said. His toes cracked off when he put his boot on, so wham! General Darius chopped the whole thing off. Maja turned her gaze down the mountain. On a bend on the road far below, she could see Darius himself, the Hand of Noxus, Might Incarnate. The general's huge axe gleamed on his back. You're lucky to be here, Zalt told her. Darius knows this road better than anyone. He built it during Darkwill's campaign, and we can help him take it back. A little lick of anger burned in Zalt's eye. Ugh, damned Winter's Claw. Cliffs rose sheer on either side of Darius's mountain road. Looking up, Maja could see the silhouettes of soldiers standing atop them. The scouts don't get a rest, do they? She asked. What? She pointed. The scouts. Which scouts? Zalt asked. Then he looked up too. Whatever curse he bellowed was smothered by the avalanche. Two curtains of white separated from the cliff tops above them, and almost instantly they filled the pass. Chunks of hard-packed snow smashed into the Noxian column, swallowing the soldiers row by row as the avalanche raced downhill. Maja braced but it was like being hit by a charging basilisk. There was tumbling terror and awful weightlessness, and darkness, and the crush of winter. 
Crunch! Someone heaved Maja out of the snowpack. Get up, he commanded, a voice ringing like the clash of blades. Dig them out! She shook herself and started to dig, then realized she was digging beside the general himself. Darius found a cloven hoof in the snow. Zalt! Maja shouted. She helped the general heave him out. Maja looked back up the frosty slope. Far above, Winter's Claw warriors were picking through the scattered remains of the Noxian dead. No retreat now, Maja thought. Darius was counting heads. Officers, he called. Two Trifarian legionaries swiftly ran over. Report casualties. Ugh, there's a river over the next ridge. We'll fortify there. Darius surveyed the battled Noxian ranks, his expression burning with barely leashed anger. If you can't walk, crawl. As the pale sun plummeted toward the horizon, the winter's claw skirmishers followed the Noxian column all the way down to the frozen river, peppering them with barbed arrows. However, the probing fire didn't slow down the disciplined Trifarian legion. Maja's breath grew ragged as she hurried to keep up with them. The frozen river was wide and slick enough to make it a dangerous approach for the Winter's Claw, and by holding the bank, the Noxians knew any attack would have to come from the nearby tree line. In spite of the sporadic fire from the shadows beneath the pines, Darius ordered two snow trenches dug parallel to the bank. Soldiers repurposed shields into shovels, and Maja saw Darius doing the same. Remember this, Zalt said. You saw the hand of Noxus digging with the infantry. Everyone then sharpened stakes for the outer trench. Darius checked defenses along the line, but stopped at Zalt. You're familiar, he said. I fought in the last Freljord campaign, General. Zalt nodded at Maja. Told this youngster how much worse it was. Darius looked Maja over. This is your first action, he said. Maja wondered how he could tell. Yes, General. Don't waste time on fear, he told her. Focus on facing the enemy, putting your blade in their throats. M Maja sure wasn't sure what to say. Uh... Something parted the air between them, and a javelin lodged in the wall of the trench. Maja turned toward the tree line. Branches were shaking, blades were shining, and the moonlight glinted on polished bone. Stand to! Darius bellowed. As the Noxians scrambled for cover and another volley of javelins flew from the trees, Maja saw a soldier stagger, three feet of knotty wood sprouting from his chest. Darius pushed past Maja and Zalt, arrows pinging off the axe on his back. Soon they'll charge soon. He... Soon. They'll charge soon, he told them. His eyes were lit with fierce excitement. And that's when we'll strike. Just as he spoke, a snarling came from the trees. A pack of six-legged cat-like shadows raced out of the darkness, trained wild claws leaping for Noxian throats. The winter's claw followed. As Trifarian legionaries rose from the trench to meet them, Maja drew her sword. She saw Darius bring his axe down like a guillotine. She rose too, ready to fight, when Zalt collapsed beside her. A javelin was buried in his shoulder. Go! 
He gasped, but Maja planted herself beside him. Winter's claw warriors were on them in an instant, hatchet swinging. Zalt deflected a skull-crushing strike with his good arm, and Maja tripped their attacker. But instead of delivering the killing blow, she turned back to Zalt. She could save him. She had to. She pushed Zalt toward the river, away from the fight, and they slithered out onto the ice behind the Noxian line. As Zalt fell to his knees, struggling for breath, Maja had a sudden urge to flee across the river with him. Don't! Zalt could tell what she was thinking. A Noxian never flees! Maja's heart seemed to be beating out of her throat. She opened her mouth to argue with Zalt. I... I am a Noxian. I am... But her mouth refused to form the words. Then Zalt's eyes widened, and a heavy hand landed on Maja's shoulder. She knew who it was before she turned around. Face the enemy, Darius growled. I... You're not facing them. With a flick of his arm, Darius spun her on the ice. Noxians who flee, die, he said. By your hand, Maja knew, by that axe. As she stared, Darius hefted the axe above his head, and for an instant Maja thought, This is it. My execution. But the moment never came. A flurry of arrows ricocheted off the flat of the blade, falling harmlessly around them. Darius lowered the axe again. Noxians don't run. We win, he growled. We chop them to pieces for what they do to us. And suddenly, Maja was angry at the winter's claw, at herself, and at her fear. With jerking, frozen limbs, she shoved Zalt aside. She heard him grunt as he hit the ice, but she left him there, and Darius did too. Beside him, lockstep, she ran into the whirlwind of Noxian steel. Their blades flashed. Maja swung hers until her muscles burned and her hand was sore from impact after impact. And with each hammering blow, she reminded herself, Live! Win! Chop them to pieces! And by sunrise, the winter's claw had been routed. When they returned... Darius and Maja found Zalt at the riverbank, his chest prickled with arrows, dead. Maja felt numb. She'd been telling herself, maybe he rallied, maybe he fought, but he'd just died where they left him. I was trying to protect him, she told Darius. He, he's a good soldier. I was trying to protect him. Darius paused. That was a poor decision, he said. Maja startled. Sir? You should have been fighting alongside the soldiers who still had a chance of living. He turned his gaze to Maja. She shuddered. His eyes were like iron. Old Zalt was ready to die. But you, you should have been ready to fight. Yes, she stammered. I'll, I'll be better, sir. Darius turned north, toward the dawn-lit slopes of the winter spike mountains. Maja could see campfires up there, smoke rising through the trees. It was Winter's Claw, waiting. Then do it fast, Darius said.
Well, so begins season two of Stories of Terra. Thanks for joining me, and I appreciate your patience as I rehash how everything is going to work out and what this whole show is going to look like. Uh, just to recap, we're going to be doing longer episodes less frequently. I think that's more palatable with my schedule, uh, and I appreciate you all. And this is super cool. I love exploring the lore of Noxus. I don't know who we're going to do next month. We'll see what I'm feeling. And if you guys have any opinions, I'm still on Twitter and Instagram. Not super active there just because social media is not really a thing I do. I just enjoy putting this out into the world. So hit me up at Ravenhood on Twitter and Instagram. Let me know what you think of the podcast. And let me know what champions we should do next for episode two of season two of Stories of Runeterra. Thanks, and we'll catch you later.